Welcome, everybody, to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends where you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. Connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic, or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man who's used to a seamless transition from cheeses to Pop-Tarts, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? Is that a uh, is that something about Texas's bowl predictions? I hope not. No, the Cheez-It Bowl is gone, but the Pop-Tart Bowl will live in its place. Is that right? I, I, that is correct. I, I miss that bit of news. Um, look, it, that sounds like me in college, uh, you know, around 2.30 after the bars. Right. <laughs> Get the Cheez-Its to their natural end and then uh, pop in some, some Pop-Tarts, you know, uh, uh, Ropolos uh, in those two things makes up the holy, the holy trinity. I know some people like a late night uh, sausage and I'm perfectly fine with that. I just would grab Best pe- worst, baby. I, I would grab pizza and then go for the at-home snacks. So, um, you know, I, everyone has their own journey. Best worst or uh, Taqueria Rincon numero tres on uh, East Riverside were my spots after Thursday nights. But we're not here to talk about <laughs> Kyle and I's misspent youth. We're here to talk about a misspent trip to Arlington. Texas goes to Arlington and gets absolutely run thanks to the Sunflower State, but still has a decent seating in the NCAA tournament. It was a, um, Kyle, I'm going to say it, it was a weekend of mixed results on the 40 acres just all over. Not necessarily pleased with all of it, but we're here regardless. We made it through Charlie Strong. We'll make it through this week. So Texas, like I said, went 2-0, and or 0-2, in the Big 12 tournament after a massive sweep of West Virginia to close out the regular season with the opening the door to being able to host a regional um, and have that home field advantage. They absolutely laid an egg in Arlington. I am on the bandwagon of never playing in Arlington ever again. Uh, just don't do it. Just just don't do it. Uh, six to three to Kansas, six nothing to KSU. Like what on God's green earth happened? Uh, not playing in Arlington in baseball. I'm fine with that. Um, let's yes, uh, yes. let's play one more time in football, and then we'll just we'll be done generally with it until our, our players make it to the Cowboys. But um, yes, otherwise, um, otherwise, uh, look, I just want to kind of forget that that happened, and I hope the team does as well. Uh, you come off an incredible high to to have the the series sweep. To get a piece of the Big 12 championship, you're flying high. Everything looks there for the taking. And then just, I mean, it couldn't have been a more diametrically polar opposite performance. Um, I don't even feel like really digging in and analyzing and just hoping it's it's one of those weeks, right? I know Kansas State needed to show out and, and came in strong. Kansas, you know, I think both these teams for their postseason um seating and, and and lives wanted to do something um and and i mean historically when texas has a piece of a big 12 regular season title they don't do great in the postseason um they 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 do great in these po- the uh, big 12 tournament when they when they absolutely need it so uh, look i didn't expect it i'm not happy with it but i'm also gonna reserve that the sky while being um, burnt orange and beautiful a few days earlier, has now fallen completely. I think there's probably something in the middle. We know this is an imperfect team. We've said it all year. We know this team is dangerous and has a you know a crazy high ceiling, as we said last week. Um, and we know that uh, you know there could be days or, or weekends where they just can't put it together. And so hopefully they got that out of their system because it's not like it gets any easier from here. No, it does not. Side note, caveat, before we say never play in Arlington again, unless it's the Big 12 championship of football, 2025, the Cotton Bowl is going to be a college football playoff quarterfinal. So play at Arlington when the Cotton Bowl is a college football playoff quarterfinal. But Texas now has to do like Will Smith before them, even though two players on the team had never heard of it, and go to Miami to take on number nine overall seed, the Hurricanes coming off of um, a solid season. They were good, 40 and 19, can't, can't bat an eye at that. Uh, joining them in that regional uh, will be Louisiana and Maine as the other four rounding out the group. Miami overall number nine seed, number 12 in the RPI. Um... I feel like they get an ACC bump in the RPI a little bit because 
the ACC has like four teams in the top 15, but that's either here nor there. Uh, Louisiana, number 47 in the RPI, 40 and 22 on the year. And Maine, number 123 in the RPI, 31 and 19 on the year. It's a... Um, Miami doesn't like jump off the page at you as a really like incredible elite team like we've seen. That being said, the ACC, much like the Big Twelve, is a dogfight each and every week. Yeah, and, and uh, you know if if uh, Miami, if Clemson doesn't outlast Miami, basically in the ACC championship, Miami is probably a higher um, a higher seed. Um, but you know they're they're not an easy out. Um, Gino Demar, they they've been to a lot, right? I think twenty five. World Series is all time. They're, they're a solid team, all you know from the seventies on, right? It's they don't have the history. They've been a good team in the past 30, 40 years. Um, Gino Damari has been there, I think, five years, and they've never made it to a super regional. So they they have a lot of expectation and hope for this season. Um, I'm I I in no way think that Texas can't win this at all. And I you know I, I've seen some interesting thoughts, right? They uh, they open with Louisiana, um, and so you know, do they pitch LeBaron Johnson to open? To then have uh, Lucas Gordon on Saturday um, against you know the, the the Miami likely Miami matchup. Um, that would be an interesting interesting move, and, and would make some sense. Um, you know what what he can do as a lefty against that Miami lineup. But um, I mean, they hit well. They, their pitching staff is is not as good as Texas's top to bottom ERA wise. Um, they have some bright spots on it, but it is not, you know, as as bright overall. But Texas is also down a couple weapons uh, pitching. Um, it, it will be it will be an interesting matchup. You you wonder if you know uh, if basically Texas's experience comes into play there. Um, you know, a number two seed in any regional, no one wanted to see Texas. You just know that, right? This is a team. There, there was not any of the 16 teams that was looking forward to Texas. Yeah, I mean, Texas is going to be one of the uh, better, if not best. Like, you know, they're right outside that that um, that range for hosting, right? They're, they're right there. Um, and so Texas is a team that's going to challenge anybody. Like, I think, like you said, the Longhorns have the tools. We've seen if they can play up to their ceiling, if they play like they did against West Virginia, I don't know if there's a team uh, in the regional that can that – can, mess with them but if they play like they did against either of the kansas schools in the big 12 tournament then it's going to be iffy and i think part of that equation is that texas is really good at home they're 10 and 7 on the road and 0 and 5 in neutral and neutral sites right they are not the best away from from um from a dish right they're not at their best so that's the the thing that like you know springs in the back of my mind is like you know they are below 500 away from the dish that that is the one thing that spooks me there's something about the home cooking with a young team they feel better at home and and that's understandable but like they're gonna have to figure something out because they're not going to be back in in at the dish for the rest of the year yeah and that that honestly was the the most brutal part about them going out like they did and, and seeing the chances to host vanish is you know that this team like the Denver Nuggets in basketball uh, have a true uh, home court advantage. There was a study just released that the Nuggets had the highest uh, home court advantage of any team in professional sports, which makes sense. Um, actually, every Denver team did, which is an interesting. We'll, we'll talk about that. Another another uh, anecdote for another podcast. But we know Texas owns the dish. We know that was a big deal. We know that they have struggled at times on the road. Um, that you know, think to, back to that series loss on the road to Cal State Fullerton, right? That was earlier in the year, but a team that certainly you know Texas outclassed and and should have um, you know handled. You know, they they also didn't show up great on the road in Waco, but they got swept at home by OU. So this team could have brain farts anywhere, but it seemed to happen more likely on the road. I will say this: look. You want to just talk about Texas and regional play. Sure, you have your great coaches of years past, and, and David Pierce is still in some ways proving himself to the Texas fans. Texas is 11-2 and two in regional play under David Pierce. They've won nine in a row. Um, he knows how to get that team locked in, loaded up for regional play uh, to get to super regionals, right? It, it is an expectation at, at UT. Um, Miami, while a good team, doesn't quite have that you know, 
built-in level of expectation. Uh, Miami, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a, a pretty heavy burn orange contingent there in, in Miami for this one, right? I don't think the home field advantage with Miami fans is quite as severe as it might have been and had those been flipped, right, and it was played at the dish. But look, I mean, we, we talk a lot about Miami. Obviously, the number 12 RPI team, they're a good team. And, uh, you know, Maine at the bottom is, you know, a, a team that's made some tournaments. It's been a few years, but, you know, a, a, a decent mid-major, not a great team. But don't sleep on ooh-la-la, right? They're, they're 10 and 5 in their last 15. They have a, you know, they're a top 50 RPI team as well. Um, I think Texas, we'll see a lot about how this weekend's going to look when they come out for their first game against Louisiana. If they handle as they should, then you know they're locked in. If 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 it looks messy and, and they struggle a lot with a team that's you know a bit up and down in in Louisiana, then a short postseason, long off season, short postseason. Yeah, I mean Louisiana is a good team. You know, the last time Texas played Louisiana, they took the the series the 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 opening series the season opening series two to one. Uh, Eric Kennedy was actually still in the two hole on that team, but like Louisiana is a team that likes to try to to get freebies. They're, they're uh, third nationally in stolen bases, and they um, also have been caught more than any other team in Texas. Uh, has ha- the the man behind the plate is pretty solid for Texas now. Uh, we never know that the infield has been you know hit or miss at times. There've been some errors on on at short and second. So, uh, but that is something that um, is something to watch, right? If Louisiana can create some momentum that way, then that's probably a bad sign for Texas. But if Texas can take advantage of that, get some easy outs that way, get off the field, build some confidence. I honestly think that's the key for it, right? I really think this is a team especially because they're young, when they get hot, they start to feel themselves, right? That's why West Virginia's strategy at the end of the, at the, end of the season was dumb because it's a young team. They won the, the Friday game and they're like, why not, right? Like, let's just go out and win this thing. So if they can get some momentum, get some easy outs against Louisiana and start to pick up some steam, they could go on a run. But like you said, if they come out and they're it's iffy and they struggle and they're not necessarily um, consistent as they should be, then things are going to get weird real, real weird real, real fast. For the freewheeling, freestealing Cajuns against uh, yet another uh, Cajunly named um, Texas catcher in Garrett Guimet should be the matchup to watch. But, you know, as this entire Texas season has come down to it, we'll be pitching, right? How deep can the starters go? Uh, Tanner Witt was, was said to, you know, be expectation that he can go 60-65 uh, with full confidence right now where he's at in his recovery, which is great, great to see. Um if he's pitching as well as he did, you know, in his his uh, West Virginia series, that sixty five pitches could could get him, you know, five six innings, which is great. Uh, you know, we will obviously see our, our two all conference starters in LBJ and, and Gordon in some combination of game one and game two, um, and you know, can they control things because the pen is a little bit depleted? You will see. Um, David Shaw, who's first in appearances, and Heston Toll, who's fourth in appearances this season, both out for this opening uh, regional round, which is uh, Coach Pierce confirmed yesterday. I think that's uh, that's a bit of a blow for sure. Um, and then uh, you, you know DJ Burke entering the transfer portal. I I haven't seen it confirmed in writing, but I presume that that means he's not pitching, or he didn't just announce it in advance of whatever happens this season. I, I don't know. Maybe he is, um, but. Uh, I'm I'm taking that to mean we won't see him either. But I mean he's he's a guy who who's quite talented. I think he had 15 appearances, uh, two starts this year, one and zero record, a 2.22 ERA, 17 strikeouts in 24 innings of work. He didn't um, you know pitch a ton of innings, but he was good when he did. It'd be nice to have an arm. You know you know he's got the talent. I think that was probably the issue was did Pierce trust him to put it together someone will probably get a really good pitcher there um you know uh next season but he will not be at least uh, after the after this postseason but i I'm, I'm also assuming during it not with i i put something in the show notes that i i see you being puzzled by every year that miami hosts a regional um a local milkshake company mark light shake comes out with team specific milkshakes I need you to answer right now with no prep on this. Which one of these is the most gross? 
Okay. The main butter lobster flavored uh, shake. That's vanilla butter and lobster. Hot, hot out the gate. Yeah, hot out the gate. The Louisiana Raging Cajuns Louisiana Tabasco of vanilla, Tabasco, and Cajun spices. Or okay. the Texas Barbecue Brisket with vanilla, brisket, and barbecue sauce. Those are real, not a joke um, flavors uh, that will be offered in Miami. I think if we're stack ranking them from from best to worst, at least as far as flavor, like I'll go the Cajun one doesn't sound honestly like the worst. Like there's a there's a case to be made for like spicy sweet situation if people like that. Um, I'd probably go the Longhorn barbecue one second with the with the butter and lobster third because I just don't like I'm not a seafood person. Mm. Um, But also I think. Even, you know, bar- like barbecue sauce is on the sweeter end. Like, I don't find anything sweet about butter nor lobster. And it mm. feels like it would just clash with the uh, with the milkshake. I think the Tabasco, like, if you go on Avery Island and take the tour, they have a Tabasco-flavored ice cream. I don't know if it's good, um, <laughs> but uh, it, it exists. It's the only one of these three that I think exists. So I'm going to give the nod as well to the, the Tabasco. I, I don't think you could – I could – I would feel bad wasting brisket in a milkshake. So I'm going to put that one third and go with uh, the lobster as second just by default. I don't know if you could pay me enough to drink a lobster milkshake. Now is the part of the show where we whip around the rest of campus and we down the 40. Gerald, I'm going to jump in one more time. My, my, my next quiz for you. You only get one more interrupt for the rest <laughs> of the calendar year, Kyle. That's fair. Uh <laughs> D1 schools that reach postseason in football, baseball, men's basketball, women's basketball, volleyball, and softball. Also soccer. There are only two of them. Gerald, do you know who those two schools are? UT. That is correct. Uh, I forgot to uh, hide that part of the the quiz. (laughs) It is correct, and that is topical because uh, both Texas and Tennessee, uh, they've played a couple times this year. It's, 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 to me, looking like it could be a good SEC rivalry of the Battle of the UTs and the Battle of the Shades of Burn Orange um, with Rick Barnes being there. There's a lot of reasons to uh, to have a playful hatred uh, once we're, we're, we're conference mates. But we've played a lot this year. Unfortunately, we also played in softball. We'll talk more about conference stuff later on. But, yeah, Texas swept by Tennessee in the Super Regional 5-2 to two on Friday, 9 to nothing. On Saturday, the Tennessee pitchers had themselves the weekend. Uh, Friday, Ashley Rogers went seven, uh, seven innings, gave up seven hits, just one earned run, and eight strikeouts. On Saturday, Peyton Gottschall went a full game, again, giving up just two hits, striking out five. Texas uh, imploded really late in the, the Saturday game, but um, a, a bitter end to Yet another like up and down reloading season that honestly felt feels bad the way it ended, but not necessarily disappointing based on what Texas was losing and what Texas needed to answer going into the year. Yeah, I mean, look, last year they were a Cinderella story. They overachieved in a way as a top 10 team who made it all the way to the national championship game. They showed heart and guts and grit and gusto, a lot of G's. This year, there were a lot of questions because a lot of the key players from that team were gone and were replaced by freshmen, truly. Uh, Some sophomores stepping up who played a little bit last year, but a lot of people who weren't um, starters on that team thrust into the spotlight. And we talked all year about how that can be a little bit uneven. Um, But, man, I I was proud of the run they made, you know, the the way they put it together. they had a, a really good season with a with a young and, and an imperfect team, um, but a really good team. Um, I wish, you know, it could have at least been a closer finish because I, I think it, it, it puts a little bit of a dim uh, on the respect that should be granted to the performance of this team. I think they, they really were great all year. Um, you know, Mac Morgan, a transfer coming in, just, you know, did her thing all year, had a rough outing. Um, but, you know, that's a really, really good Tennessee team. Um, they, you know, they're going to finish director's cup fifth, right. And going down in the final eight. So uh, you, you take a win there. Um, just tough, just tough. I think all in all, like I said, with, with some, some young players, you know, 
Cinderella or, you know, the season of, of, of overachieving kind of uh, leveling out a little at the wrong time and, and some of your, uh, your pitching just, you know, coming up against red hot bats at Tennessee. Uh, you have an 18 and one pitcher who, who you're going up against to, you know, go seven innings, gives up seven hits, strikes out eight. Like that's, that's good stuff, man. And, and uh, we know OU, OSU, Texas uh, have been, you know, the great matchup in, in the big 12 all year, but there's some good teams, some good teams out there besides just the big 12, obviously. Um, and Tennessee definitely is, is, uh, outside of, after Oklahoma, uh, one of those gunning to, uh, to get the, the Cinderella knockout punch this year. So Texas finishes the season 45, 15 and one, a uh, solid outing again for a team that still had a lot of questions to answer. Uh, they have again; they they're going to return a lot of talent next year and have an opportunity to uh, keep things going, uh, keep things moving in the right direction, and improve on the outing. Prop of a weekend of disappointing results, Kyle. And I, I need to temper this. This one's probably the one that like really felt the worst to me, based on. The, the expectations for that we set for Texas and really what it means overall for how the year is going to shake out. Number two rowing finishes fourth in the national championship, the NCAA championships this year, breaking their streak, breaking their streak of national championship defenses uh, and giving Stanford not only its first team title win since 2009, but presumably a leg up in the director's cup race with this one. Yeah, they, Look, if they finished uh, they, so in, in, in rowing, if you're in the top four, it's considered a, a podium finish. So this is Texas's sixth consecutive podium finish, which is a big deal. That's It's really great. Stanford has been so close nipping at their heels the past uh, three years, really. They, they've been runners up and been close for a title. You knew it was, it was bound to break at some point. Stanford was really good this year. Um, but, you know, could Texas have gotten third? Could they have gotten second you know could they have won it who who knows they finished fifth in the big race um the, the first eight they finished sixth in the second eight and and they won the, the the four the final race there's only one uh four in in the national championship um grand tournament and so you, you could be disappointed um but there, there is a little bit of a compelling story here on why they probably could have or should have honestly finished third. They finished three three points behind Princeton. Um, the interesting thing was was the second eight ran into a flock of geese. Um, like it, it sounds geese silly. are the worst. Yeah, it, it, geese are real a holes. We know that, um, and they really were just like not moving like apparently some people tried to shout uh at both the geese and the the race course to try to clear them but they just didn't and so the race goes and they're you know uh an eighth of the way down the track and they just don't move they're just sitting there and they of course are sitting in texas's lane at that point texas was neck and neck um for first place they hit the geese um fall an entire boat length behind basically trying to catch up um end up showing some fight to close it to you know they were nine seconds behind first place but they were only a second um off or two seconds i think off the uh, the next people in front of them and had they finished just one place higher right if they got that fifth place spot they would have uh they would have been in third place overall for the national championship it was all close they they lodged a protest on the water over the geese but Dave O'Neill basically said he wasn't going to go through with it because they would have had to re-row all would have made all the the rowers re-row. One of the rowers was injured in the in the goose kerfluffle, and so but besides not having you know one to have your team go right back to it, it was kind of a thing like, look, we're not going to win the national title here. Um, we could move up one spot or you know maybe even two spots if we end up winning this race, but it's it's. I think it was a classy thing by O'Neill, and, and I saw um, on the, the Reddit rowing forum um, a unnamed former Longhorn rower who rowed for four years under O'Neill say that it's not there, she's not surprised, that he's just classy all the way to the top. He would have never, you know, no matter what, even if, if they could have won the title, he wouldn't have made the people re-row because these things happen. You have to be prepared for every eventuality, and, you know, next year it could be someone else who gets the bad break. So I appreciate that mindset. It really, truly does feel like the mindset of a winner from Coach O'Neill that you know you handle all the things you can and don't complain if they don't go your way just go work doubly and triply hard for next year so that makes me feel pretty darn good about this team's chances uh going forward and and you know with with o'neill at the helm i don't think they'll they'll be off that podium anytime soon 
Get it back in blood next year, ladies. Get it back in blood. Number 15, men's golf, finishes 19th at the NCAA championship. Uh, they had a shot at making the cut, but fell six strokes shy of it after making a strong push on Sunday. The early portion of Sunday, they really looked like, you know, they, they, they were going to just get in under the wire. They were a team, uh, five under as a team through, uh, I think, basically almost the turn. Um, and then it didn't go so great. They were a combined 11 over in the final seven holes that basically showed they weren't going to make it. Um, promising things, uh, again, kind of similar to softball, right? This was a team that, um, you know, had, had top 10 talent, but a lot of it was young um this is the team after the team this is in fact the team after the team you, you see it in this right their three their top three scores were freshmen uh tommy morrison and christian moss uh led the longhorns tied for 68 uh individual and then keaton bow was their third highest score also a freshman so um you know all three of those guys will be back will be sophomores will be locked in we'll be looking for more they'll uh they'll add some new talent to the team, whether that's the portal or in, in the recruiting class. But, uh, you know, you, you, you're not going to win national champions with a bunch of freshmen. It's very, very, very rare. Um, and so, you know, you, you get a little bit up and down. You get the, the bright lights and, you know, disappointing finish. No doubt about it. 19th was not where this team wanted to be. Missing the cut is, is not, you know, is not Texas standard. Um, so there's there's some some call to action that will be happening for sure they need to get you know get at least top 15 right got to make that got to make that cut got to get to uh, match play the top eight if uh, if you you know where, where texas expects to be is one of the preeminent golf programs in the country Keep it a country club. After being eliminated from the team tournament, men's tennis's Cleve Harper and Elliot Spaziri finish as the NCAA doubles runners up, giving Spaziri a boost in his ITA rankings, uh, not just on the double side, but he also got a boost on the single side as well. Yeah, in the final rankings, they were number two, uh, rightfully so. Um, would have been great for them to get that national title, but you know, no shame in number two. And then Spaziri, where he's been since February, no surprise, in the final ITA singles rankings, stayed at number one, which is phenomenal. Becomes the second Longhorn to hold the top single spot at the end of the season since those rankings began in 1981, some 40 odd years ago, along with Steve Bryan in 1990. He didn't do it all by himself. They had a great team run, um, and so obviously there were other Longhorns. Three other Longhorns were ranked. In the singles, uh, PYB Pierre's Pierre Isbali, uh, number 36, junior Micah Braswell at number 37. And again, we saw injuries probably kept that from being a top 15 finish if he would have competed all year, as he was uh, phenomenal down the stretch. Um, and junior CM Woldieb at number 55, and, and the uh, PYB Woldieb doubles combo at number 47. So great year reflected in the rankings for a strong team performance a lot of those guys will be back next year on the track number one women's tennis sending 16 to the ncaa championships while number nine men's is sending eight shifting our focus to moncree steve sarkeesian is bulking up his analyst bench bringing on not one not two but three special assistants to the head coach uh, Paul Christ, uh, Joe D. Camillus, and uh, Payam Sadat all added as analysts to focus on, uh, well, their respective areas. Paul Christ will focus on the offense. Uh, Payam Sadat will focus on the defense, and Joe D. Camillus will be special teams. Yeah, and, and Paul Christ, an offensive guy, but he's a, he's a quarterback guy as well, right? Sarkeesian knows a thing or two about being a quarterback, but so does Paul Christ. Um, I think it's a, I think it's a really strong move to pick up a guy with uh, head coaching experience. Um, you know, I think even before this was announced, I was pretty uh, pretty excited about year two um, Ewers with with that offense. But you bring in a guy with, you know, just finished a, a seven year, uh, seven eight year run as the Wisconsin head coach. Um, it's a Saban move, right? Like we know that. Um, and that's what they're trying to build here is, is not just Alabama's program, but a, a Nick Saban program, a program that innovated in, in many different ways. Gray shirts, you know, analyst staff, special assistants, those types of things. We saw Gary Patterson last year. And as he moved out, you needed both someone with, uh, you know, specific expertise, but also um, 
head coaching experience, right? I think Sark really, in a turn of, of some recent Texas head coaches who think they know everything, Sark really loves having a strong staff and other people to bounce things off of. And though he's the defining voice and will make the ultimate decision, he thinks having people with that experience around him makes him a better head coach, which I think is a tremendous leadership mentality. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's a great move. I think actually all three of these bringing a 20-year, a you know, NFL special teams guy in to help shore up what was already a great special teams unit. I think there's just a lot of, like, the rich get richer, and, I, and you know, I'm, I'm not at all mad about that. No, and I, I mean, this is a situation where um, you bring a lot of smart people together and let them be smart. It's like what you should be doing, and I think it's great. And again, um, I'm interested to see, you know, we were curious to see what Gary, who would be Gary Patterson's backfield, and I think Sadat is a is a solid choice for that. Uh, like you mentioned, Paul Chris, and then um, Joe D. Camillus. I'm interested to see the dynamic with him and Jeff Banks, because Jeff Banks is a very hands-on um, special teams coordinator. Like he's very, he's not just tight ends. He's very much focused on the special teams. It may give him a, a little bit of a lift to be able to go focus a bit more on the tight ends because we know Jatavian Sanders is not long for this world. And so we could see um, needing to refill the bench and giving him an opportunity to focus more, especially as they've relaxed some of the, um, the constraints on non-field people coaching and giving coaching daily. Uh, so I'm curious to see that. But again, I think these guys are coming in to really boost and bolster uh, the staff and, and give themselves an opportunity to stay coaching and stay fresh for uh, potential future opportunities. Uh, finally, three game times have been announced for the upcoming season. Two non-conference games. The Rice, we already knew Alabama was going to be a 6-30 game. But on either side of that, Rice will be a 2-30 kick on Fox. Wyoming will be a 7 p.m. game on Longhorn Network. And then Texas Tech to close out the season on Black Friday, 6-30 p.m. It'll be interesting to see that that Black Friday uh, night game. Um, I, I think that'll be, that'll be fun. Um, Rice in September... At 2.30 will be a literal game of Oof. the ground is lava. Um, I, it's going to be 150 degrees on that field. It's it's going to be brutal. I still remember that Louisiana, uh, formerly Ula La, uh, opener a couple years ago. And just like, looked, you know, the stands with just people laying strewn you know in the bleachers underneath uh like jonestown the morning after around there it was it was brutal um one of the hottest sporting events i've ever been to so expect if you're uh, if you're going to that rice game um the 230 september one there's a good chance it's uh it's it's gonna be a hot one so i think i'm planning to be at the wyoming game it's my dad's birthday so i told him i'd take him so i always like going to the longhorn network game in person done that a couple years in a row no offense to local Indo, but um you know it's it's uh it's nicer to be at that one uh in person and then you know of course uh, tech will be will be a solid solid game to close out the big 12 all right gerald let's take a look at the world through some burnt orange lenses your boy ryan krauser so it's a new shot put world record with a throw of 23.56 meters. That um, seems good. Uh, for those of you not fluent in metric, that is 77 and a third feet through a basically um, a cannonball. <laughs> Almost 78 feet. If you've watched the video... He nearly threw it out of, like, the landing area. Like, they're going to have to make these things bigger if Ryan Krauser gets any better. Yeah, I mean, like, thinking about that, that's like NFL quarterbacks, you know, like to throw that with a football, um, you know, or, or I should say college quarterbacks. College quarterbacks like to throw it that far with a with a football with some accuracy. Um, Ryan Krauser can do it with a, a, a giant hunk of metal. Um, it's silly, man. Like, <laughs> like when, when they build an arena and you test the limits of its construction with, with what you can do with the object that's, that's thrown in, in that arena, again, it would be as though uh, a quarterback could throw it 100 yards every time. Like, it's just, 
it's nuts. And he really seriously, legitimately um, continues to remind us that he's not just one of the best track and field athletes. Like he's on, you know, he's in that conversation for the best Longhorn at their craft in the history of the school. Like there's very few people who've done the thing that they did uh, at the University of Texas better than Ryan Krauser throws a giant hunk of metal. He's got to be on the all-time like Hall of Fame. Like not just not just track and field, but like everybody. And another person who's early in the career, but angling for uh, you know quite a professional post Longhorn life, Peyton Stearns earns a top twenty win over former champion of the French Open. Uh, her first career top twenty win um, her first career Grand Slam event. She beat Jelena uh, Ostapenko, who won the 2017 French Open. Um, Peyton Stearns is, is climbing climbing up the uh, the charts, becoming a, a thing not just to Texas fans, but a legitimate uh, contender to shake up the world of, of women's tennis. I mean, it, it, she is... Um, I think we saw some of this excellence like flashing at Texas and I'm glad to see that she's um, just carrying that to the, the pros. She's uh, already or on set on pace to climb, like right outside the top 50. She would, it would be like almost 150 spot move for her. So like, I think somewhere around number 54, uh, just a big, big uh, feather in her cap. And I'm excited to see her career continue to flourish. Absolutely. Another uh, Longhorn whose career we're hoping to continue to flourish on the 40 acres, Leanne Good, named to the D1 softball freshman All-American team, one of three Big 12 players to get that honor. Um, There weren't second teams, or I think there may have been a couple more Longhorn freshmen who might be on there. There will be other uh, freshman All-American teams that I think will feature some Longhorns, but this is the first one out of the gates, and Leanne Good is one of the uh, the 10, uh, 11, I think, best uh, in the country. So kudos to her. Men's golf's Travis Vick claims the uh, final spot in the PGA Tour University class of 2023. Um, he was named to the third team, and that basically earns him exempt mem- membership to the lesser. I think it's the PGA Tour Canada for 2023. So it's not straight under the PGA Tour, but a PGA Tour uh, subsidiary, so kind of minor leagues, if you will, but uh, the fully exempt is the big deal. I didn't know there was a PGA Tour Canada, so I learned something today. Yeah, it's uh, you, you win enough on there, you get your tour card. The tour cards are very limited. You know, it's been a lot of conversation with a club pro, you know, finishing like he did and getting entry into, um, into you know, future events like we talked about last week. Uh, you know, the, the, the golf uh, documentary with live players you saw uh, leaving, you know, there was more spots for some other people getting in there. So you've seen some, some people on the tour come in and, and, and honestly have these great performances. Um, it's a coveted thing to get that main tour card. So great first step for the bucket hat boy travis vick um keeping it golf number three women's golf head coach ryan murphy was named the wgca central region coach of the year i believe there's five regions that puts him as one of five finalists for the coach of the year they had a great year so uh, i mean hopefully this is a um a sign of things to come Gerald, after we spent a lot of time talking about how great a hire it was for the head coach of the beach volleyball team crystal conti showed he just he just really does not play around. Um, he hires the people who will win. And uh, you saw that with beach volleyball hiring Angie Akers as an assistant coach. She's a two-time Olympian herself, and then most recently in the 21 Rio Olympics coached uh, the U.S. team to a gold uh, medal winning uh, performance. Uh, so she is an Olympian and a gold medal Olympian coach specifically. Um, Look, she, she's, she was the Dutch national team coach 2015 to 2020. Her college experience uh, had two seasons as the assistant coach at Loyola Marymount, who, who won back-to-back West Coast Conference championships, made a top-five finish in, in a couple NCAA runs in her time there. She was um, – Jared Elliott came right out and said that she was the, the most sought-after assistant in the country, um, likely to be a head coach somewhere pretty soon. But for, if you're building a program, man, having – one of the best head coaches and having the, the most sought after assistant coach, pretty good start um, with 
obviously Jared Elliott himself just getting inducted into the Volleyball Hall of Fame last week as well. There's a lot of volleyball knowledge. It's just a matter of, of putting it all together uh, on the sand, right, with, with Elliott's ex- expertise, obviously, in the, the indoor volleyball. But I, I think it's only a matter of time with those coaches and the ceiling at Texas that they're, uh, they're competing very, very quickly. Get it together, ladies. We need, we need you. We need you. <laughs> we need, need that buffer. That's right. We need those Director Cup points ASAP. Uh, Gerald, let's take it home with our last few segments now. Time for a little Godzilla Tron. What have you been watching on your giant screen? Uh, again, been a slow streamer for me. My wife and I are uh, in the middle of doing a bunch of stuff around the house, so we haven't had a ton of time to sit down. But we did have a little, like, we need to pause. We need to have a little date night. So uh, we watched, we dusted off. Uh, is, is it, I, can't, I don't know if it's called a classic, but Crazy Stupid Love mm. uh, from about 12-ish years ago. On the front end of the Ryan Gosling renaissance, um, really good. I would say holds up like 97% of it. There's one little bit that I'm like, this is weird. But um, I mean, you know, tw- it's weird to say that 2011 was a very different time, but it was a very different time. Um, and so just like there's one storyline that I'm like, eh, it's weird, but it's still very funny. Steve Carell, some of his best work as far as like not being the guy from The Office. Um, one of the earliest times that I thought he really stepped out of that well. Gosling was Gosling on on the nth degree. Just super, super good, super fun. Um, really, really enjoyed it. So good. Check it out. I'm I'm in a rom com mood now, so I'm probably next week gonna probably be like, oh, I went back and watched Forgetting Sarah Marshall and Chasing <laughs> Amy, and like all of my favorite rom coms. So just be on the lookout for that. I uh, you know I hadn't <laughs> seen Crazy Stupid Love. I'd somehow missed it until I think the like, peak pandemic. I remember when we were just kind of finding things to watch and. Uh, my wife was shocked that I hadn't seen it and said, you're going to love it. And I was like, I'm skeptical. I don't know. Gosling, he's, he's charming, but I don't know if he can lead a comedy like this. And Steve Carell, like, you know, he's always been Steve Carell. Oh, I loved it. I thought it was great. It's been a couple of years since I've seen it, but I, I, I thought, remember, uh, it is not hard for me to tell my wife she's, she's right. And she absolutely was. Um, we watched crazy, Rich Azins on the flight to uh, to Memphis on United. Um, it was just about a long enough flight. We missed like the last ten minutes, which we caught up in the hotel when we got there. Um, but it was a nice way to a little bit of tarmac time, but that was fine when you're watching a movie. Um, so yeah, I didn't even plan to talk about that one, but I also watched a crazy uh, titled movie, Crazy Rich Asians. But what I was going to talk about is it's finale season, Gerald. It is. I, I I have not watched the Ted Lasso uh, finale, which came out. Uh, today uh, we are recording on Wednesday, so it came out today. Um, I did watch the Succession finale and the Marvelous Miss Maisel finale. It was also Barry finale, but I, I haven't watched Barry. It's on my to watch list. Many people have, have recommended said it's something I might like. I haven't seen it, but I did watch the the Marvelous Miss Maisel finale, which I thought was really like there were two finales succession and Maisel that were very different and i'm juxtaposing them in a way because i i I watched them you know these shows i'd I'd spent time with and i'm sure i'll have an opinion on lasso when i watch it um in the next day or two as well um but marvelous miss Maisel was just very charming and quaint at the end their whole last season it took a little bit of you know getting used to because they jump around a lot of timelines they try to squeeze a lot where they go back a little but they go ahead a lot right it's a show set in the 50s and 60s um that you know jumps to almost modern day you know 80s 90s 05 i think was the 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 most the latest uh you saw it but um you know so once you got used to that and at first i didn't like it but you know then i really had no problem that it helped tell the story sometimes time jumps can can be a uh, a plot device for for bad writers, and I don't think that was the case um, here. I just think they were trying to kind of tell the implications of of events. Um, but it's a you know it's a low stakes show. It's just a charming little show that I really enjoyed. And so the finale was kind of like you finished it and you said, oh, that's the finale, huh? We'll get to see that again. But it didn't have anything big, anything crazy. It just kind of went. The end scene was in the most recent time and. It was charming, and I laughed probably as much in the last episode as I as I did in in the entire last season. So, good end for them. And then Succession, I thought, was just kind of perfect in its oppositeness. Gerald, I won't go into details because I know you're catching up, but it, <laughs> it it left it left you like the perfect amount of numb, or it left the characters the kind of the right amount of numb, like people who are inherently not good people. Um, it was like a, a perfectly bad ending, and I don't mean that the ending was poor, but it was like kind of what everyone deserved um 
again, I, I'm trying to really skirt around what I want to say because I don't want to spoil for, for Gerald um, which character I do actually love on the show. Um, but it's, it's, it's not important. I won't go into specifics. Spoiler free. Hit me up in the DMs if you want to talk about it um, <laughs> so I don't spoil it for my co-host. But I will say, like, I didn't know even up to the finale where exactly it was going and my kind of prediction was not where it ended up. But I'm not it makes sense. It makes sense to me. And, and, you know, it would have been out of character if it did something else. If it, if it went any of the other directions that the internet was speculating, they kind of stayed in their lane and did what they do and they did it right. And it was, you know, you don't have a heartwarming because there are no hearts in that show. You know, there is nothing to warm all across the entire entity. Um, and it is, it, it's, it, it's heart, a, a cold black satire and it finished, uh, as such, um, with with kind of everyone unhappy, and, and that's probably correct. It's still on the list. We'll have to check it out. My wife and I are going to have a lot of us time to watch uh, shows coming up soon, so we'll, we'll barrel through a lot of these. Now's the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So, Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? Gerald, did you know college sports fans will occasionally, sometimes often, hem and or haul um, at, at events or decisions of, of 18-year-olds? I feel like there's more hemming than hawing, or maybe more hawing than hemming. Probably more hawing than hemming now that I think. Twitter gives us a lot of opportunity to haw. Yeah, I, I do feel like, especially because I'm thinking about Arkansas fans that haw, uh, short for H-A-W-G, hogs, um, it fits just in, in my, my visceral kind of uh, brain. I'm seeing the, the link there. But yes, both hemming and hawing um, over in all sports, what, you know, sometimes 16 year old, 17 year old, 18 year old kids decide to do. Um, we've seen it in football. We'll talk recruiting in the coming days with football. We've seen it with basketball most recently, and, and that's what I want to talk about. Um, we know that Texas had two five-stars, A.J. and Ron Holland, both in this class, who neither are, are coming to the 40 acres. That was a tough blow when it happened. You know, kind of wanted to watch it play out. Um, one went to play professional basketball in Australia, as that becomes more and more of a pipeline to the NBA. And now it looks like uh, Ron Holland will be going to the NBA G League Ignite um, program, which we're seeing more and more five-stars do in the kind of recent um, history of the league, right? The, we know, you know, who's going number one in this most recent draft in, in, in the Spurs getting Wemby, but there's a likely top five, maybe even like a top three uh, point guard who will be out of the G League Ignite, right? A player who didn't play college basketball. And so what that has led to is some, some angry fan bases, Texas is included, um, but also some some doomsday proclaimers for the sport of college basketball. And I get it. Look, it sucks. It sucks if, if the, you know, if nine of the top 13 players in a recruiting class aren't playing college basketball, right? There was a point when that was true because they were going straight to the NBA. Then the rule changed and, and the markets have adjusted and ebbed and flow. And first they went to college. Now they're finding there are more options before NIL. It made a lot of sense. People don't understand with NIL, but look, there's only one other really um, college sport with a minor league in place, and it's baseball. And every year, Gerald and I get on here and recover baseball recruiting and give big caveat. It's like, oh, this kid's great, but we'll see if he signs. He's a top 50 you know, kid in the country, so he'll probably go sign in the draft and, and, and play minor leagues for two or three years. Like We've come to terms with that, and I guarantee you if you see Dish Falk, you know, as we talked about that great home field advantage, it hasn't stopped fans loving Texas baseball and showing up for Texas baseball. And I assume the same will be the case for Texas basketball in the new Moody, where we had tremendous attendance this year. I think that's going to be the case next year. The transfer portal becomes even more serious. The, you know, you're going to try to get those guys who might be four stars or three stars who can contribute for a couple of years and build your team around experience. And it's going to be, it's going to change a lot of things, but Change is not necessarily a bad thing. It doesn't kill it. It's not over. We'll make do. We're all still going to love uh, March Madness and, and cheer the horns on as they make runs. I honestly really wish they would just get rid of this minor league slash college requirement for these athletes. Like It was initially put in place to like benefit the athletes and college, 
basketball, and now it's doing neither, so we've outlived the usefulness of the rules. Let's just get rid of it. Let the kids that want to go pro go pro. And I honestly think that'll have a better trickle down to college than um, it currently does. Like it's just it is what it is. But I'm here to bang the drum on the current measuring contest that is happening around the Lone Star Showdown. So if you haven't been keeping up with it, Texas A&M athletic director Ross Bjork has been um, hemming and hawing about the fact <laughs> that he believes, for some reason, that the first Texas Texas A&M Lone Star Showdown game has to be played at Kyle Field. For what reasons, I don't know, because he feels like we're coming to their neighborhood, I guess. But the last one was played in Kyle Field, and it'll be in an uh, in an even year. So traditionally, that would be a Texas year. But whatever. Ross can, can hem and haw all he wants. Um, Chris Del Conte said, basically immediately following that, that decisions have not been made about where that is going to be. Texas is not even officially in the league yet, and we're already annoying Aggies, and I love it. <laughs> I absolutely love it. Um, the bane of their existence. And you and I talk a lot. We rag on the Aggies. It's one of our things. But, like, this just reeks of, like, wanting to have a say even when you don't. Everybody knows that if A&M had its druthers, Texas would still be in the Big 12. And so because they didn't get their way, now they're wanting to throw a hissy fit about where the game is hosted. Instead of leaning in and saying, this is going to make a crap ton of money for both of our schools. Let's lock arm in arm and make this thing as good as we can. They're in a, they're in a, a spitting contest about where it's going to be. And it's just annoying. And it really leans into that like subtle like inferiority thing that we talk about a lot with some of the ways that these folks react to things. And so... Just get over it. Like, everybody get over it. We're still a year out. The schedule hasn't been released. Just play the game. I don't care where it's played. It'll alternate years, and it'll be fine. As long as it's played in Austin one year and College Station in the other, I don't care where it starts. Relegating Aggies to the kids' table already is, is just wonderful. The idea that every, that, that Sankey and, and Del Conte said, no, a decision hasn't been made. We will tell you when a decision has been made. It just feels so great to watch the Aggies just just be lesser than in all things. Like, they will have good years in various sports. They have a lot of money. They have things. But they're just, like, inherent existence is defined uh, a lot like the succession characters being rich and miserable and, and having holes in themselves that can never be filled. Um, and that's beautiful. And that's wonderful. And I want to celebrate that. Uh, Aggies, uh, stay you forever. And that's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? Oh, you can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Carbon. You can also follow the Texas Pregamer at Texas Pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at GH Goodridge. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Facebook and Instagram, the Longhorn Republic. Or shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. We'll be back next week. We're barreling closer and closer to our summer preview series, so you'll see that coming up in the next few weeks. We're excited about that. And until next time, hook them. Hook them. Sorry, Ken Paxton. <laughs> <laughs>